great to be out with y'all again, studying God's word together and praising him for who he is and what he has done for his people again this morning. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 5, that's where we'll be for at least part of this lesson. Revelation chapter 5. And as we think about Revelation 5, that's just when we're sort of getting into the book. We've gotten the messages to the seven churches. We've gotten the author of our letter revealed to us, which is, as we'll see and we'll talk about some, that's Jesus. And then we've gotten this picture of the throne of God. And that's really all we've seen so far. And now we're here. And this is kind of when, I don't know if you want to say the plot of the book really gets going, but it's the first real problem of the book. One of our first main issues, and it has to do with who is able to open the seals to reveal the plan and judgment of God. The plan of God to judge and to save. And actually, let's just hop straight into that this morning. If you want to read along with me, it's Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written and within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he could open the scroll and its seven seals. And let's stop right there for a second. So here we see John, he weeps. And why does he weep? How could you weep before the throne of God? He weeps because no one was worthy to open the seals on God's scroll. There wasn't anyone who was worthy to enact God's plan of judgment and salvation. No one was worthy to fulfill God's plan. And so John weeps. How can God bring his people to himself now? How can God destroy the evil in the world now? And yet, the elders tell John about a son of David that has conquered. He has the authority to open these seals, the authority to carry out God's plan. And so in our head, when we hear that, we would maybe envision a great warrior the mightiest of earth. We'd envision this great king. And if you remember, that's what many of the Jews would have pictured, right? That the one deemed worthy to be the Messiah would be a physically great king. And so this coronation, this celebration of the one who is worthy to open the scroll, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, this will surely be a celebration of power and authority. So let's see this glorious king. Let's just go on and finish the chapter. Let's read verses uh, 6 through 14. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. What just happened? This is supposed to be our great king, a perfect picture of power and authority. And instead, we see a lamb who's already been killed. You see how that doesn't make any sense? How do we go from our king and this great lion, a king in the vein of David, to a slain lamb? And of course, most of us already know the answer. Most of us know that Jesus is the lamb and he's the king. But don't forget how jarring this is. Don't skip just straight to the ending. Think about this for a second. This is a kingdom like no other. I think we're meant to ask the question, Jesus died. How can I believe that he is in heaven reigning? How can I really believe that? And that's why we have this discussion in 1 Corinthians 1. If you remember 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 25, where Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men your God, your King, your Messiah was deemed a criminal. He was executed in the most painful and the most shameful way possible by his own people. And that's who you want me to worship? 
You see how that's a hard message to hear? That this person that I'm supposed to worship, that I'm supposed to trust my life with, executed as a criminal. Executed in the worst way you could possibly be, the most shameful way you could possibly be, and that's who you want me to follow. I think we miss that as Christians sometimes. We see the shame that Jesus went through, and then we immediately skip to how he's glorified now. We immediately skip to the end of the lesson, maybe. And I think we forget how connected those two things really are. That the way that Christ exemplifies his power and his kingship is through being the slain lamb. And so for a few minutes this morning, we're going to examine the theme of the lamb of God. And we're going to show how this has always been the plan. That Christ's kingship and suffering was always to come through the fact that he was the slain lamb of God. That the lion was always to be the lamb. And then we'll look at what that means for us. And actually, let's start all the way back near the beginning. If you want to turn to Genesis 3, we're going to read just a couple of verses there. We're going to be skipping around a little bit, so I'm going to put as many of these verses on the screen as possible. But if you're in Genesis 3 with me, we're going to read verse 15. And as you recall by this point, God created the world and the world was good. And then we say, but Adam and Eve fell short. They fell into Satan's temptations. And now God is about to give out the consequences and the punishments for Adam's and Eve's sin. But first he said, uh, this is not working anymore. I guess the verses won't be on the screen. So if you want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 with me, this is what uh, God says to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is our first glimpse of this eternal plan. It's not much, right? There's going to be a man. And even though the forces of evil are going to hurt the man, the man is going to give evil this sort of mortal wound. And that's super vague, sort of abstract But it gives us the first hint into Jesus' mission on earth. That it wasn't something that God invented in the first century. It started very, very early on. And throughout the Old Testament, we see little hints like this. Messianic prophecies, God's promises, foreshadowings. These big people and events that acts as types of Jesus and his coming kingdom. And you could do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sermons on that and not even get to everything. So we're not going to do that. But the reason that I bring us to Genesis 3 is because just a few verses over in verse 21, it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That God made garments of animal skin for Adam and Eve to cover up the consequences of their sin. And you say, okay, so what? That's not such a big deal. 
But think with me for a second. Because I think, again, we know these stories and sometimes we kind of skirt over some of these details. What has to happen before you can have an animal skin to clothe somebody with? You gotta kill an animal. You gotta kill and skin an animal first. And we've, up to this point in Genesis, we've seen a lot of things, we've seen a lot of good things, but what we haven't seen was the effects of death in the world. We hadn't seen that yet. We've seen God promise that Adam and Eve's sin is going to bring death, but we haven't seen death yet in the Bible story. And this is the first time we see the effects of sin and the effects of death. The first time we see death in the Bible story is God covering up the shame of Adam and Eve with this animal skin. The first time we see shed blood in the Bible, it's an animal giving its life to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. And then as you get to Exodus 12, God's about to, um, God's about to redeem his people from slavery in Egypt. He's about to kill all the firstborn in Egypt, but he's going to spare his people, the people who follow him, from this coming judgment. And God tells them how to avoid this death. It's a long passage. Exodus 12 as a whole is worth reading, but we're just going to read verses 1 through 7 to kind of get a picture of some of this together. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you can keep it until the 14th You shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. And we'll stop there. And so here we see that God's about to release his people from slavery to spare them from his judgment and from the death that is about to come to the Egyptians. And as a sign of this, as a memorial to this, to spare them from this death, he has them kill a lamb and use the blood of the lamb to spare their family. And we know that because it's in a lot of ways the Passover is the precursor to our Lord's Supper. And in this great day of remembrance, a time where God passes over the sins of his people, there is a great emphasis on the blood of the lamb, a slain lamb. And so here, this kind of picture of the slain lamb goes from covering the sins of an individual, like something we saw in Genesis 3, to playing an active role in sparing the family unit from the judgment of Exodus 12, serving as a testament 
and a memorial to the life-giving power of God. And then let's go one step further. Let's look at Leviticus uh, 16. The establishment of the day of atonement. And for time's sake, again, we can't read all of the instructions for the day of atonement. But we will read verses 15 through 19. Leviticus 16, verses 15 through 19. Then he, that is the high priest, shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities." And when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of, uh, and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger, he shall sprinkle some of, it, uh, some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it. And from the impurities of the sons of Israel, consecrate it. And when he finishes atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. And so here we see among a lot of blood and death and sacrifice and all of this stuff that would make us maybe a little squeamish and uncomfortable sometimes, Aaron offers an animal for the sins of the people. The blood of the goat removes the sins of the congregation, cleanses the impurities of sin from before the worship of God. And we see all these hints, this sort of slow kind of revealing where over and over again we have death of animals and the, the motif of this blood cleansing or covering or sparing the God's people. See all these little clips. And you could go through over and over and over again. This comes up. It's a teaser of what is to come. You see the pieces start coming together. But the seals aren't fully broken yet. This isn't God's final plan. All of these sacrifices and deaths. Although God uses them to spare and cleanse the people, they are perpetual. And to use the word that I think the Hebrews author uses, they are imperfect. They do not truly bring us into God's presence. And it seems hopeless. How could we be brought to God through such a perpetual system? That's why John weeps, remember? What sacrifice is worthy of God's perfect plan? Who can break the seals? Because who can save? Because only God can save, right? But God is in heaven and he's separated from us. And so the sacrifice has to be a man, but no man is worthy, 
And that's the tension. And we get teasers like this in Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 8, where it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And so we know that God has a plan We see that God has a plan to bring a sacrifice, but how and who? Who is worthy to open the seals? Who is worthy to be the Messiah? What man could have enough power and authority to be able to open the seals? And how could he be like a slain lamb? It makes no sense. How could someone play the role of God and of man? It doesn't compute in our heads. And that brings us to John 1, which we already talked about in the prayer today. If you want to turn with me to John 1, I don't think I put it on the screen. Here, Jesus' ministry hasn't even started yet. By the world's eyes, he's not even a teacher, let alone a king. It's Jesus is no one in the eyes of the world yet. But we know what John the Baptist says about him. It's in John 1, verse 29. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not a coincidental choice of words. That's not an accident. As we saw earlier, Jesus is our lamb, but he's not just the lamb to cover the sins of one guy or the sin of a family or the sin of just one nation of people. Jesus is the lamb that covered the sin of the world. That anyone from any part of this entire planet that comes to him can find forgiveness in the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the one worthy of being the sacrifice. He can fulfill God's plan. He can open the seals. And although Jesus is a man, he is also God. That though he is a great king, he shows his love by being led to slaughter on the cross. God's power is made known through the suffering of Jesus. The king is the slain lamb. That brings us back to Revelation 5. And look for a second how this Lamb of God is described. So between the throne of God and and the four living creatures and among the elders, John sees 
a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes talking about how the power and the all-seeing nature of Jesus, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He's an incredible picture. But the most notable thing is the lamb was slain, that the lamb died, and we connect that back to Isaiah 53 and the cross, and that he, he was killed as the sacrifice. But the lamb isn't a corpse. The lamb is not actively dead. The lamb is standing. Even though it has been slain, the lamb lives. Even though he's died, he was raised. And that is how... The king, the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has conquered. That is how he is worthy to open these seals. That even though he chose a weak form, he showed the full power of God in the flesh. That's a lot to think about. It's kind of overwhelming when you try to make all of that make sense. But it shows Jesus is God. He lowered himself to be sacrificed for us. But that wasn't the end of the story because he rules now. He's at the throne, he is alive, and he is the king. As we saw, that was always the plan. Second, see, my notes say First Peter. That says Second Peter, and I don't know which it is. So either Second Peter 1 or First Peter 1 Verses 18 through 20 says that knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. We talked about it, this idea that some people have that, well, I guess God decided in the first century that Jesus was a good enough sacrifice. That's not the picture of our Lamb of God. This was the plan that before the foundation of the world, Christ was known. And Christ was chosen to be the Lamb without blemish or spot for our sake. How great is our God? How great is our Lord and King, the slain lamb? And just like we talked about earlier, that may not necessarily make sense. How can the great Lord of all, the one who we will all bow down to and worship, how could he be a slain lamb? How could he be one put to death by his own people, but yet... That is how God chooses to reveal his own power and authority to forgive sins. His power and authority to give life was through the sacrifice that he himself provided. That God's power is revealed through his humility and through his service to us. And so then it's up to us. How are we going to react to him? In Revelation 5, verses 11, 14, John says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the, el- and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. 
He is worthy to receive power. He is worthy to receive wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne, saying to God and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So once we see all of this put together, the plan of God that has been from all the way before the beginning to now, once we see that given to us, there is one choice. We need to fall down and worship our king, the slain lamb. The lamb of God was sacrificed for us. Our king became a slain lamb for our sake. That should affect us. That should make us want to worship him. We must join the myriads and live a life of praise to him. Submit yourselves to the root of David, to God the Lord, the slain lamb who cleanses the sins of the world. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for the lamb. We know that before the beginning of the world, you knew us and you knew that we would fail you and disrespect you and hate you. And yet rather than scrapping the plan or destroying us or leaving us without hope as we deserved, you provided the slain lamb of God. You sent yourself, the son of God, to take a humble form and to serve and suffer and die for us. Thank you for showing your power through humility and service. Thank you for showing your authority through shame. Thank you for your life-giving love. Help us to accept your amazing sacrifice by giving you all that we have, by giving you ourselves. Help us to live lives that honor your sacrifice, reflecting that love and service that you showed to us, to others. Living lives that praise you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.